This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Welcome to Seek Reality Radio with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about your reality. You have nothing to fear. You are eternal and you are perfectly loved. Knowing the truth changes everything. Now, here is Roberta. There is only one reality, and it's not the one-level mechanical reality that mainstream science tries to tell us it is, nor is it the sort of vague and vapory reality that's mainstream Christianity. There's one reality, but to understand it and really know what's going on, we need insights from both science and religion. And we've got to understand that they won't give us much to help us in putting the facts together, but they certainly have important facts to share. The physics of the greater reality that I was able to puzzle out from reading hundreds of communications from the dead was so detailed and so consistent that I knew there had to be a scientific basis for it. I knew it, but I couldn't begin to put it together until I read such a wonderful book that if you haven't read Quantum Enigma, get on Amazon.com right now. You're at your computer. Get on Amazon.com and get the book, Quantum Enigma. It may be one of the most important books ever written because for the first time it gives us the tools to begin to make sense of our one reality. I love this book, so I'm thrilled and honored to have with us today Dr. Fred Kuttner, who is one of its co-authors. Welcome, welcome, Dr. Kuttner. How are you? I'm fine, Roberta. Thank you. I, I want to talk about the book, but first, Doctor, I want to talk about you. You're a physicist. Tell, tell me something about how you got into physics. Did you grow up thinking, I want to be a physicist, I can't wait? Or what made you, what made you become a physicist? Well, I was always interested in science, um, you know, rockets and space and all that. I grew up in the 50s with the very beginnings of the, the whole space race and all of that. And when people were touting atomic energy as, you know, the greatest thing to come along ever, you know, so I, I, I kind of naturally gravitated toward that. And I'd actually thought of going into engineering, but then in my junior year in high school, I took a course, which is a great physics course, which only lasted a few years. It was um, during the time when, right after Sputnik, when everybody was trying to say, oh, well, you know, the U.S., we have to catch up, we have to educate scientists, we have to do a much better job of attracting people to science. And it was this thing called PSSE Physics. Uh, some people out of MIT did it. And I found it fascinating because instead of presenting the science as a bunch of disconnected facts, it basically told a story about how the physical world works. And I found that fascinating and decided I'm going to be a physicist. <laughs> I, isn't it great? There's there's something that opens our mind, and suddenly we see the world differently. We really can't fit into the old mi- old world, old mind ever again. I think that's wonderful that that happened to you. I remember that time too. Um, I, I think everybody was suddenly w- awakening to some extent. Mm-hmm. That's exciting. I I never took physics, uh, and even in high school, I just it was way over my head and i knew it i think it's good to know our limitations so 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 you so you went on to college studied physics and and just loved it 
Basically, yeah. Although it was the 60s, so I get distracted for a while by a number of other things, but uh-huh. kept, kept coming back, kept coming right. back to physics. But it was Newtonian physics you were studying, right? It was the well, sort of clockwork physics. And now we also we studied we we studied quantum mechanics. I mean, quantum mechanics goes way back. The origins right. of quantum mechanics really go back to 1900, and yes. and. Uh, you know, by the by the 60s, when I was in college, everybody studied it, but nobody talked about what it meant. That that was kind of, I think, the thing that's been new over the last 20 years is um, we learned uh, what, Bruce, what Bruce likes to say. We learned to be quantum mechanics, namely you learn how to use it. But it was very strange, and I knew it was strange when I learned it. I, this stuff is very strange, but, you know, nobody really encouraged anybody to think too hard about the strangeness of it. You just learn to manipulate the equations and solve problems, which is how you get along as a professional physicist. Well, did did people ask questions? You know, uh, this is so different from the old style sort of Newton's physics. Did, Did people in your classes talk about that? We talked about it with each other. We never raised it in class because we knew we just had to put our noses to the grindstone and learn how to do all the problem sets. You know that that we. But we we talked about it with each other. As I've said, I'm afraid of physics. Always have been, um, and I guess that's what astonishes me about your book because your book makes it fun. And how you can get to fun in physics is something that really boggles me. <laughs> you, 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 so you, you went from, um, you decided to be a, become a PhD physicist and teach. That, that right, strikes me basically. as a big step. Uh, this is what I want to do when I grow up. I want to teach physics. Basically, yeah. Well, I want, at one point I, I wanted to do research and win a Nobel Prize. I think, you know, everybody, well, <laughs> so everybody in science thinks that way. <laughs> But that's uh, that was a fleeting wish. Yeah, I have a feeling the Nobel prizes are now overrated. But that's all right. Um, so, so you when you first got into it, you were teaching the the, the people that you taught the way you had been taught. This is how well, we use uh, it. Pretty much, pretty much. And of course, when I teach classes, kind of in straight physics, you know, the introductory physics or some of the upper division classes I've taught, I still teach it the way I learned it again because. You know, people have to learn how to do the problems. People have to learn how to do the stuff so they can go on to the next course or apply it in their engineering courses or their biology courses. So to a very large extent, most of the courses I teach are still taught the way I was taught. The one exception is the course that my co-author Bruce Rosenblum started called The Quantum Enigma, and then after a number of years, I started teaching it. That's, That's the exception. So okay, so we're we're going on. We're teaching in a traditional way, and then when did when did he start his course? Oh, it was probably back around twenty twenty five years ago. Wow, and, really? Yeah, Good. yeah. And the way he explains it, what happened was that um, you know they'd always had this general education course. And the thing about that is you don't have to stick to anything in particular because it's not a course that's going to be followed by the next course in the sequence. So you've got to make sure that the students learn enough to go on so he could teach whatever he wanted. And he had gotten interested in 
the strange things about quantum mechanics. And we had actually been on a panel together discussing it. And I don't think he remembers that, but I do a long time ago, maybe going back about 30 years. And so he was interested in that. So he said, well, he'll teach it. And the idea was to teach <laughs> the strange things about quantum mechanics. And were you teaching only physicists, or was he, when he started, teaching only physics students? No, or no. What, that, it was that general. Was, it was the survey course. That was specifically course. a gen ed course, so that was, you know, to meet the natural sciences requirement, you know, that every student has to take. One of the things that you say in your book is that putting, and we're going to talk uh, further about what it is you actually say in quantum enigma because I think sure. that's that's important meat. But I, I just enjoy the the aspects of it, which it's for me having spent my life groping to find information which neither religion nor science could give me any help with, and finding this enormous body of information that was absolutely consistent could not possibly be an error and yet nobody else or very few people there are people other people have done this but to 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 come across your book and and find scientists who have basically reached a lot of the same conclusions was thrilling to me and so um i just have to sort of enjoy these side aspects before we get into the meat one of the things you say in your book is that physicists said to you that putting this information in the hands of non-physicists was like putting a loaded gun into the hands of children One one particular (laughs) faculty member, to which Bruce replied, well, we'll teach gun safety. (laughs) And basically, (laughs) what physicists are afraid of is pseudoscience. And, you know, it's a real fear, and it's a fear that we share because there's a lot of nonsense out there. And quantum mechanics is so weird that what this guy was expressing was the fear that, well, if you tell people that physics says these weird things, maybe they'll believe all kinds of other weird things, too. Oh, it's like an invitation to, to get crazy. Something yeah. like that, yes. Yeah. And, okay. you know, living in Santa Cruz, there are a lot of people who like to believe things just because they're crazy. Yeah, well, I, I suppose to each his own, right? Right, but right. It, to, the, the search for it, it, part of what's frustrated me is it seems to me the search for reality which is what we're all trying to understand. What is reality? How does it work? And what does it encompass? That search should not have any forbidden areas. It should be something which we can, I mean, it needs discipline, it needs focus, and maybe it needs to be approached from several directions. But it shouldn't, there shouldn't be some areas of reality that are okay and others that are taboo. And that's what science, it seems to me, has been doing where quantum physics is concerned for a long time, we can... Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, in the beginning, in the beginning, there were reasons for it. It's very interesting. At the very beginning of quantum mechanics, there was an incredible amount of discussion about what could this possibly mean. But it died down. A few things happened. Um, It started, you know, you started to be able to use it to do all kinds of useful things. Then, of course, the war came along and then after that, the uh, U.S. got very conservative, you know, in, in the 50s. And uh, all those things kind of militated against doing any exploration into, you know, what is all this strange stuff all about anyway? Um, and that didn't start to break down until the 1960s and kind of, you know, accelerated in the 70s and 80s. So I think, you know, all 
systems are inherently conservative. I mean, you know, religions are, uh, political systems are, sciences, it's inherently conservative. You know, you've got something you want to preserve and you want to preserve it against the assaults because there always are assaults, you know. And uh, so I think it's kind of natural. And, you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, you want to have a lot of, if, if you believe a certain way um, and it works for you, I think it's reasonable to want to have a lot of evidence before you're willing to overturn it. One of the things that I've seen um, made reference to is that uh, atheism is the fundamental dogma. I don't know that all scientists feel that way, but I have seen scientists in writing say that. This is the fundamental dogma. We have to be atheist in order to do, you know, normal science. Well, what... I don't think so. There, I don't think it's you've got to be atheistic, in a, except in a very specific sense. Basically, what I think what is verboten to say in science is, well, we don't understand it. It must be God did it. Okay. Well, that's okay. encouraging. If you think that's what they mean, that's great. Well, I, it's not what Dawkins means. <laughs> Something like <laughs> no. Dawkins means you've got to be an atheist to be a scientist. But, right. I, I, you know, I, I don't know what percentage of scientists are atheists. I know a lot of them aren't. You know, yeah. it just basically means we don't allow God of the gaps. If there's a gap, we want to find the reason for it. Saying God did it is not acceptable. That's great. I, I guess I then maybe I'm an atheist too in that. that <laughs> I, no, really. I mean, you, you don't. It, it's too easy to fluff over questions by saying by just saying God did it or God will figure it out or right. something. I, I agree right. with you. We have to. There, there is a. It's the universe is not, and the reality is not clockwork, but it certainly does operate as a unit in ways which should be discoverable, maybe not entirely, but to the extent that there are gaps, we should be able to fill them in. So I, I, I would agree with that. The way I have seen it, though, Doctor, has been scientists turning away from explanations of, for example, quantum physics that would allow or admit for some agent of intelligence involved. And given the nature of quantum physics, that's that's very difficult, especially it's early. I have quote. I have quotations here, which I may read. If we get bored toward the end, I'll read my quotations. <laughs> I hope they're they're all right, but I've I've gathered them. You had some in your book, which are wonderful. Um, the earliest quantum physicists understood that they had maybe not found God, but they had found an intelligent kind of thing going on that was sort of heretofore under uh, uh, not appreciated or understood. And reading them and then seeing how very quickly that notion that there's an intelligence going on here, uh, it, was, it was just stonewalled by science. Don't you well, think so? I mean, they turned away from it. Yeah, I, I mean, they certainly turned away. Max Planck said things and that they, they've yeah. ignored him. I mean, that's not right. Well, again, I think, <laughs> I, you know, first of all, like any profession science is a profession and people get um rewarded for doing things that other people think is important basically that's true, that's true. what a good summary exactly. you know and um most pe and most people aren't you know most people aren't 
trailblazers. You know, most of us are just, you know, kind of go along. I mean, that's just sort of normal human behavior. We go along with the crowd. And, you know, even up till very recently when Alan Aspect, who was one of the people who was doing experiments on Bell's theorem and, and, and entanglement, when he told John Bell that he wanted uh, to do these experiments, Bell asked him, do you have tenure? Meaning, if you don't, you better not do this because then you're not going to get tenure. Um, so it, it, it's, yeah. um, I think it's pretty normal, again, for institutions, for systems, uh, not to want to rock the boat too much. And certainly there was so much you could do with quantum mechanics. You know, there were so many things you could explain, the structure of atoms, structure of molecules, how solids work, how the sun shines, all this stuff you could explain with quantum mechanics. There was so, so rich an amount of things you could do the in a sense the most sensible thing would be to exploit that publish a lot of papers you know find out all kinds of interesting things about the world and get promoted and all that good stuff yeah <laughs> well that's true and they say it's science advances by death so i so suppose younger <laughs> yeah. all these people you've been teaching are going to probably make a big difference now we're, we're, we're going to be right back my name is roberta grimes and you're listening to seek reality on the contact talk radio network every week at this time we talk about out for an hour about the one glorious reality in which we live and i'm having a lot of fun today talking with one of my heroes we'll be right back If you've ever wondered why you're here, if you wonder whether God is real, if you wonder why life isn't fair or whether there's life after death, let Roberta Grimes help you learn the joyous truth about your own reality. Roberta has trouble with believing things. She's always wanted to know. So she spent decades studying nearly 200 years of afterlife evidence. In the process, she made some wonderful discoveries about God, reality, and your own eternal nature. The truth is better than your most optimistic hopes. Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes on Saturdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific. Why wonder and worry when at last it's possible to know? When she was eight, Roberta Grimes had an amazing experience of light. She spent the next 50 years researching the afterlife to try and understand what had happened to her. And the result is her book, The Fun of Dying. Find out what really happens next. Roberta's book is Cliff Notes to 200 Years of Abundant and Consistent Afterlife Evidence. It will show you why extinction is impossible for you, explain how you can enjoy the death process, and describe for you in wonderful detail the glorious heaven that awaits us all. Available on Amazon, in Kindle, and in print, The Fun of Dying will start you on a thrilling and life-affirming voyage as you learn the glorious truth about who you really are. Welcome back to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Um, our guest today is the wonderful Dr. Fred Kuttner. I'm having so much fun today, I have to say. He is co-author of the book Quantum Enigma, which is the ultimate 
Quantum Physics for Dummies book. If you haven't read Quantum Enigma, that's your task for this weekend. Please get the book. Please read the book because it will explain so much to you about how this reality fits with the reality. This isn't even why Dr. Why, why the doctor wrote the book. He wrote it because he wanted people to understand quantum <laughs> physics. But as I am going to say shortly, um, it fits perfectly with what we come to understand about the physics operates in the rest of reality, which we know is there. And, uh, and so he's one of my heroes. Welcome back. I'm so glad you're with me today. We're having so much fun. Oh, thank you, Roberta. Just before the break, I made the throwaway remark that someone said, I don't know who said it, uh, physics adva- uh, science advances by deaths, which simply means that younger people are more open and they sort of can go in a different direction. And as, as the doctor said, there's, there are people who get hardened and, and that's their career and they're not going to change. And, and you commented to me that you're, you're seeing that. Oh, yeah. We find among, say, among younger faculty members, much more openness to the kind of things we're talking about than to more senior faculty members. Just, you know, they don't want to have anything to do with it. They they think we're wasting our time at best. At worst, <laughs> we're doing evil things. At best, we're wasting our time. <laughs> Has it affected your career that you're so open about these things? Do you well, think it's... You know, I've had kind of a strange career. I've wandered in and out of academia. I spent a number of years in business, you know, so I I have never had a traditional academic career where I went from, you know, assistant to associate to, 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 to professor. And Bruce didn't start doing this stuff until he was already a tenured faculty member. So in both our cases, we were kind of immune, but um, it, it, it definitely is even today. It, it is not the kind of area that I would recommend uh, somebody to go into as their main focus. Um, you still got to do something more traditional in science. You got to publish papers with a lot of equations, and you know, and do something in your narrow little field that that the ten important people in the world who do your stuff can recommend you and say, oh, this guy does really good stuff. You got to do that. You still cannot. You will find that most of the people who work in this field have already uh, achieved a position where they're not in danger of getting, um, uh, you know, fired or or not promoted. As a matter of fact, we, we almost joke that you have to have a Nobel Prize to be able to make any public statements about this kind of thing. Because then you're immune. Hello? Really? Oh, my. Okay. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm just trying. Um, I turned off a telephone, which is now talking to me anyway, but hopefully the radio cannot hear it. Um, I think think that's that's a very important insight, but I'm reassured to hear younger people are feeling more open about it. Um, I I just... um, I, I, I just wish it happened faster. I think it's it's probably normal to be impatient. But this is why. Let me just explain to the audience why this is so important to me, the book you've written. Um, after spending several decades reading more than 200 years of afterlife evidence, communications from dead people, a lot of it documented by people who thought they were doing scientific research early in the 20th century. This is very serious stuff. Um, they, all of these dead people who were talking to relatives or talking to scientists, they all talked about the same kind of reality in which they lived. There were no clouds there. They were not sitting on clouds. There, were no, there was no St. Peter's gates. But what there was was a solid reality. 
that was exactly where we are, in the same place. In fact, there wasn't just one. There were several solid realities, uh, maybe seven, maybe ten, maybe many more than that, all in the same place. This boggles your mind. If you're sitting in a solid room and you're, th- and you're being told basically over and over and over again that there's a solid reality right here, and many of them, I, didn't, I couldn't make sense of it. And it was a very different kind of physics. They traveled by mind. They communicated by mind. But if I were sitting... If I were in that reality and I were sitting in one spot and I decided I'd go to the end of the universe, I could do it by a thought in an instant. Boggling. It was all boggling. And, but, I, but it was so consistent, I knew it had to be real. And how do you figure that out? And how does it plug into this reality, too, because they're so closely connected? How does it work? How does it work? So what I figured out was that that's probably the main reality. I don't have any idea. But this one must be a kind of artificial reality for various, whatever various reasons there are. Um, then I read your book. And quantum physics is, seems to be mind-governed. Um, you know, the double-split experiment and, and the non-locality of things. Suddenly it began to make sense to me in ways it never had made sense before. Fits with its its quantum physics as you will do the work seems to be a hybrid between the physics that operates if you if you do enough reading you begin to see that's what operates where the dead are and probably in a lot of other places too I have no idea how big reality is it's probably a lot bigger than what we can perceive it's certainly much bigger than the universe but it, that that's a kind of pure version of quantum physics and what what you have is kind of a hybrid between that. It's like a plug, it seems to me, that connects the, the levels of reality and connects this one to all the others because if we didn't have Newtonian physics on this level, our minds would be affecting everything. We wouldn't, we wouldn't have a school, which is what this apparently is. I, I think this is a school. We have no idea, but that's what we're told. That's why your book was so exciting to me because I could, suddenly we, I had found the plug that attached that which made which was consistent but i couldn't see how it fit it made it fit with this okay. do you have a reaction to that other than that who's <laughs> this crazy woman and why am i on this show i mean that well, could be a i mean there's that. certainly a little bit of that but i mean you know <laughs> <laughs> you know i i thank you that's really funny go ahead um i, I gotta say i mean the stuff you're talking about i'm one of those people who doesn't know about that stuff. I mean, I've heard, you know, I mean, I know things like, you know, Houdini went to all these mediums because he, he, uh, wanted to talk to his mother and he found them all fake. And Oliver yes. Lodge was, you know, very interested in this kind of stuff, but evidently he was kind of duped, you know. So everything that I have heard about sort of implies that a lot of these things that went on in the early 20th century were not real, but were rather, you know, uh, hoaxes of some sort or another. Um, there were many know. hoaxes. Yes, there were. Yeah. Absolutely. And, um, you know, so this is, this is something that I've got to say I know nothing about. I'll send you a copy of my book and you'll see what I learned. I'd love to see it. <laughs> send me an email. All right, so, so your reaction is, uh, I have no idea how that could work, right? Your, your, your reaction is, that's strange. Exactly. Okay. Um, tell, us, tell us more about the book. Tell us about, because Quantum Enigma talks about quantum physics in a way that makes it fun, that makes it funny, um, or, or sort of wry. Um, it talks about some of the greats and the things that they 
talked about, the things they've found. Um, but it does it with such a light hand. You, you, you were doing this course with um, Dr. Rosenblum for many years, I guess, right. together. Right. Enjoying it. It was kind of fun because it was, you were, these were not physicists. You were not preparing them for a world right. uh, in which they would have to know this stuff. They were trying to expose them to the fun of it. Exactly. Did anybody, exactly. did anybody then say, oh, hey, this is fun. I want to be a physicist. Or was it, did they all go uh, into A couple they, of people did, but, you know, then once they saw what an introductory physics class was really like. Too <laughs> much <I don't know. laughs> math, right? Exactly. I mean, it, yes. it, it, it's a grind. I mean, as a matter of fact, it's, you know, physics education is poorly done. I mean, if you're not absolutely bound and determined to do it, when you start, you're not going to do it because th- there have been attempts to make it a little more interesting. And a couple of people like at Colgate, some people wrote a book in which they try to start off with some more interesting things. But but mostly we just do a terrible job of, of teaching it. We just make you work really hard and grind away really hard. And it's most... Most of us who are physicists found we were very disappointed when we got to college and started taking introductory physics. And we kind of stuck it out because we, you know, I guess we were stubborn people. We thought it would get better. We thought it would get get better. better. And it it does. It does get better. But it it, it takes too long to get to the good stuff. I mean, when I, uh, we didn't get to quantum mechanics until my junior year when I was a, uh, an undergraduate, you know, and that was a long time to go through a lot of very dry stuff. So you're, you're doing this course together, and one day you're over lunch, you look at each other, and you say, hey, let's write a book. Well, what happened was um, Bruce had put together some notes for the class, and we had also written a couple of papers. We we. Uh, I don't remember how it happened, but Bruce got involved with this journal called Mind and Behavior, which was basically a psychology journal published out of, I think it's the University of Maine, probably. And we noticed that a lot of psychologists were talking about quantum mechanics and what they were saying made no sense at all to us. So we decided we had to write a paper about uh, the way we saw quantum mechanics. And basically what you, what you haven't done yet is given people the subtitle of our book, which is just as important as Quantum Enigma. The subtitle okay. is Physics Encounters Consciousness. Right. That's true, especially on this show. Yes, this, this yeah. network is all about consciousness. Exactly. So, so, you know, so we decided to write the way we saw the encounter between physics and consciousness because we thought these psychologists had it all wrong. So uh, there's one thing you've got to know about physicists. We may be personally humble, but when it comes to our perf- physics, Physics is an arrogant profession, okay? <laughs> I mean, it's just something that, that's bred into you when you learn it, you know? So you think physicists can do anything better than anybody. Right. You right. know, it's just, it's just something you pick up by osmosis when you become a physicist. So so we thought we could do better than these psychologists. So, um, so we had written that paper, and we started thinking about, well, maybe we should turn the notes that Bruce had made into a textbook. And then I, somehow or other over the next few months it evolved. And no, let's not do that. Let's make it a book that would reach a really wide audience. So let's yeah. write a popular book. And that's what we did. It came out, I think, in 2006? Correct. Something like that? Yeah. Correct. Um, so it's, it's really a recent book on the scale of things. Um, 
And I just have to say, frankly, until I read your book, I couldn't have completed the work I had spent my life doing. So um, I, I have several copies of your book now. One, the one I'm, the first one I read, I think I told you this, every second page is dog-eared. I kept coming right. across these revelations over and over and over again in your book, things that that tied into what I had done in such a way that it, it was perfect. It was astonishing to me. Um, in some cases, I see I dog-eared the top and the bottom. I'm not sure now what that meant, but I'm sure it meant something. <laughs> uh, but but that's that's what happens in my experience when these disciplines come together. The same thing is happening in studies of consciousness people are doing oh, yeah. um, because that's another approach to... Because we, we have... I understand there's been a lot of... of, of sca- a lot of... Um, a lot of people trying to prove communications from the dead are hoaxes, a lot of skeptics, a lot of de- debunkers, and people who don't, who haven't made a study of it can feel quite legitimately that there's nothing to it. There is a tremendous body of incontrovertible evidence that is most of it's pre-1950 that the dead are not only alive, but they're right here. And they're in, and it's to, to die. It, and I, I say this to people often because it's hard to understand how it could all be in the same place. Just as you have a TV and you've got different stations, you're, you're, you're tuned to one channel. Everything is real and solid. You're seeing it and stuff. But then you tune to a different channel and it's another reality, but it's in the same place. There, it's all energy, and that's what seems to be the case. The, the, at higher levels of vibration are these other realities in the same spot. That's what seems to be going on. I don't think anybody knows for sure, but that's what it seems to be, and that's what, frankly, the dead tell us it is. And I kind of tend to think they're experts on something they would know more about than we do. But just just assuming for a, for a moment, um, you haven't seen my book and you haven't seen its bibliography, so once I send it to you, maybe we can have another conversation about it. But assuming this is a possibility, that there is this big amount of, a huge body of information most people don't know about because they've just never looked at it, what we're finding is that science can give us light, and frankly, your book, first and foremost, can give us light on what's actually going on. So can people researching consciousness, and they're do they're, they're you're giving us this light involuntarily, <coughs> pardon me, because what they're trying to do is find the source of consciousness in the brain, and since it's not in the brain, this is a very um, it's a frustrating frustrating course for them to take. But the, the experiments they do and the research they do gives us more information as well. But it all comes together, and it's making a clearer and clearer picture of what actually is going on. In your book... You do talk about the various theories there have been um, over time. You know, I, I, the discovery of quantum. And in fact, it was 1918, wasn't it, that Dr. Planck got the Nobel Prize for sort of being the father of quantum mechanics? I think it was 19. Yeah, it may oh. be. The work he did was done in 1900. Um, you know, so I mean, Nobel Prizes are usually delayed, and in the past they sure. were. Yeah, it all depends. Theories take longer typically. If you make an experimental discovery, you can get it the next year. But usually, theories take a while before people, you know, realize how important it was. So that, that takes longer. But yeah, it's. I mean, really, quantum mechanics has been. If you date it from Planck's um, paper, which he gave around Christmas time in 1900, quantum mechanics is 113 years old. And wow! It, <laughs> it is. It is amazing that in that 113 years, we have not reached a consensus about what it all means, you know, which to, to 
my mind and to mind of other people too, means there's something going on that sort of transcends the boundaries of what we usually think of as physics. You can't really completely understand it unless you go beyond what we usually think of as physics. Um, you know, at least that, that, that's what makes sense to me. So if, if in fact there were, if in fact this were the, the material universe, huge as it is, or seems to be, if in fact it were part of a much, much larger reality and were tied to that reality by means of quantum physics, that might be part of the explanation. I'm not asking you to commit to that, that it even conceivably is, but it's possible, it seems to me, that that could be maybe going at it from their direction. That's Yeah. No, I... I um a number of people have said things like John Bell said, um, it, whatever we find out, when we finally understand it, it will astonish us. On the other hand, John Wheeler said, um, we'll, look, we'll look at it and say, how could we have missed it? It's so simple. I mean, but, but you get the idea that it's kind of going to be some kind of shift in the way yes. we look at things. Yeah. And yeah, I, I don't know. One of the reasons we we wrote the book is because we said, well, you know, maybe the answer is going to come from some other direction. Maybe it won't come from physicists. So here's the enigma. Um, and we think that, you know, anybody who puts the time into it will understand it. And maybe it'll figure something out that'll help us understand what's going on. You're listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes on the Contact Talk Radio Network. You never began, you never will end, and we are having fun with that fact. Our guest is the wonderful Dr. Fred Kuttner, who is one of my heroes, um, maybe now my foremost hero by the end of this show. Stay with us, and we'll be right back. If you've ever wondered why you're here, if you wonder whether God is real, if you wonder why life isn't fair or whether there's life after death, let Roberta Grimes help you learn the joyous truth about your own reality. Roberta has trouble with believing things. She's always wanted to know. So she spent decades studying nearly 200 years of afterlife evidence. In the process, she made some wonderful discoveries about God, reality, and your own eternal nature. The truth is better than your most optimistic hopes. Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes on Saturdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific. Why wonder and worry when at last it's possible to know? When she was eight, Roberta Grimes had an amazing experience of light. She spent the next 50 years researching the afterlife to try and understand what had happened to her. And the result is her book, The Fun of Dying. Find out what really happens next. Roberta's book is Cliff Notes to 200 Years of Abundant and Consistent Afterlife Evidence. It will show you why extinction is impossible for you, explain how you can enjoy the death process, and describe for you in wonderful detail the glorious heaven that awaits us all. Available on Amazon, in Kindle, and in print, The Fun of Dying will start you on a thrilling and life-affirming voyage 
as you learn the glorious truth about who you really are. Welcome back to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes on the Contact Talk Radio Network. We're talking with Dr. Fred Kuttner, who is co-author of Quantum Enigma, Physics Encounters Consciousness. This is the best book. This is the single most important book for you to read if you're trying to understand what the greater reality actually is. Um, and he didn't even write it for that purpose. But um, he makes physics fun, and I don't think there's a better, probably a better thing to say than that about something. Uh, he finally makes something fun, which I frankly was so afraid of, I never even took it in high school. Welcome back, Doctor. Um, tell us more about your book. What What is the, the this after taking teaching this course for many years? You came together and said, you know, we're just going to write a book for average people who don't know much about physics to tell tell them this is what's going on and what do they think of it? Well. One thing I can tell people is there's no equations. So if, <laughs> no, that's if, true. If, you're, ma- if true. you're math phobic, don't be afraid of this book. And really, um, we are really trying. What, what Bruce and I are, you know, incorrigible teachers, and my wife will also uh, say that. <laughs> Maybe a little too much. And you're still married. That's a wonderful yeah, thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't mean. That's, uh, she's a tolerant person. <laughs> so we, uh, we really want you to understand what's going on, and we think, we hope that we can convey it without, um, without the mathematics and in a way that, as you said, is kind of fun and enjoyable. And the basic idea is that there are experiments you can do in which the kind of outcome you get appears to depend upon the free choice of the person doing the experiment. Yes. And somehow or other, then, there is this connection, which we don't understand, between your conscious free will and what goes on in the physical world. Now, it's very strange. It's not like the kind of thing people think about in the secret, um, because there's a, a kind of nature makes the final decision. You get to choose the kind of outcome you want, but... Um, nature chooses the specific outcome. So I like to say it's, it's something like this. Um, you can choose whether to play the game of saint and sinner, or you could choose to play the game of rich and poor. You get to pick which game you want to play. But if you choose to play the game of saint and sinner, nature decides which you're going to wind up. And if you choose to play the game of rich or poor, Nature decides whether you're going to be rich yeah. or poor. So, okay. you, you know, so there's still a, there's a, the way we can manipulate reality is, is still limited. Okay. It's not the, again, it's not the kind of thing where wishing makes it so. There is a connection, but it's subtler than I think, which, you know, makes perfect sense to me. I'm always happy to find that reality is subtler than the simplest way to think about it. It gives me confidence that there maybe really is something out there after all. Well, the, the, in the greater reality that we enter at death, um, matter is mind-created. Um, there are descriptions of building a house, for example, and they live in houses there, uh, in which someone designs his house that brings in more advanced beings who think the house into existence and it becomes absolutely solid and permanent. So their mind is not constrained by matter, the kind of matter we have here, which is uh, there are all of these things again, make me make it make sense to me that quantum mechanics is the plug because 
we still have, we retain some of that ability for, to manipulate matter with our minds when we're here, but not enough to make it, you know, we can't build a house with our minds. Right. Although in theory, maybe we could. Maybe it's just that because we're so confident we can't, uh, that limits our ability to do it. I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that's, I just don't know. So uh, what, what in particular do you want to make sure people take away from your book? Well, people who read it. I think one of the most important things is that we base our lives in, in you know, modern Western society, which to a very large extent is becoming modern worldwide society, on what we call the Newtonian paradigm, where everything operates causally, um, you know, like a, a great clockwork machine, and human beings really don't have much to do with it. Um, Newtonian physics isolated the person in, you know, kind of inside your body, and you interact with the world through your body, and that's the only way you interact with the world. And and as for the rest of it, it just is like a clockwork. Uh, quantum mechanics says that's not the way things work. The world yeah. is not the world is not Newtonian. It to a large extent it can appear Newtonian if we if. You know, I mean, there's a stability to the everyday world. Quantum mechanics kind of goes over into a Newtonian appearing world when yes. we get to the everyday stuff. But that's not the way it really is, or at least it's not the way we now understand it to be through quantum mechanics. So um, Newtonian physics kind of read spirit, mind, out of the world. Quantum mechanics reads it back in. Wow. That's a one. I, 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 all of the things you're saying, uh, there's so many tidbits of, of wonderful uh, uh, quotations. I wish I were writing them down. Um, I, Newtonian physics takes spirit out of the world, and quantum physics might be reading it back in. It is a mm-hmm. wonderful summary of what I think is going on. I agree with you absolutely on that. Um, I, I, I just like to read the the. The father of, we just talked about Max Planck. He did get, it was 1918 when he got the Nobel Prize for work he had been doing earlier in the century. And um, he, to read what he said during his lifetime is pretty astonishing to me. And I just want to quote it to, to people who are uh, listening because I think it's something to think about. This is the father of quantum physics. This is the ultimate quantum physics hero, let's just say. Um, He said in 1931, I regard consciousness as fundamental. I regard matter as derivative from consciousness. We cannot get behind consciousness. Everything we talk about, everything we regard as existing, postulates consciousness. Then in 1944, he said, as a man who has devoted his whole life to the most clear-headed science, the study of matter, I can tell you as a result of my research about atoms this much. There is no matter as such. All matter originates and exists only by virtue of a force which brings the particles of an atom into vibration and holds this most minute solar system of the atom together. We must assume behind this force the existence of a conscious and intelligent mind. This mind is the matrix of all matter. Mm. That's fascinating. I I had not seen those quotes. Um, That's fascinating. It does give you pause, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, because we always, what we call, in our book, we call Planck the reluctant revolutionary because he was a, he, you know, he was very conservative in his dress and his manner and everything yeah. else like that, you know. So it's very interesting to hear that, to hear him say that kind of thing. 
the um, the the earliest quantum physicists seems seem to me to have much better understood and been more open to the possibility of what uh, quantum of the implications of quantum physics. It was as if back then everything was possible, and was they were enthusiastic about that fact. It was it was they had made a new discovery. The world was new, and let's see where this will lead. Kind of thing. Um, it, it it because there are others there are other quotations like that too that from early physicists which early quantum physicists which um, I think now would surprise a lot of um, people working in the field not you none of this surprises you because you've thought about all of this but a lot of people have not thought about the larger implications mm-hmm. um, I, I think, think it's pretty true. exciting yeah again there was an openness and then it kind of closed down um, you know and, and has just started to open up again, I said, in about the last 20 years or so. What do you see as evidence that it's opening up? Well, there's more and more discussion. Um, People, um, it really, the the modern, what we call the modern quantum era, really started with John Bell in 1963, who was built on the work, actually, of, of Albert Einstein in 1935. Einstein wrote a paper in 1935 called, um, is is quantum mechanics complete? Is is quantum mechanics complete theory of reality? And this was answered by Niels Bohr, who argued Einstein argued it wasn't. Bohr argued it was, and nobody paid any attention to their except for Bohr and Einstein. Nobody paid any attention to it. His paper, Einstein's paper, was completely ignored. Maybe you know in. in in science, the big deal is, is your paper cited? You know, you get, you get kudos oh. <laughs> for having a lot of citations. <laughs> to they your ignored paper. him. That's and they, bad. well, yeah, they, they, they ignored that. Um, but then John Bell, um, kind of took off on what Einstein did. And that led to a, a tremendous amount over about the next 10 to 20 years, a tremendous amount of theoretical and experimental work. And and the fact is Einstein's paper now gets cited hundreds and hundreds of times every year. So I think that, that you know, just it's a very good empirical way of yes. stating okay. the renewed that, interest in this field. That That's good. That is there. What are the theories that are they're coming up with now? Are, are you, is there any well, particular have- thing? Well, they mostly have to do with the existence of what Einstein called spooky accent action at a distance. Yes. Which is what we, what actually, uh, Erwin Schrodinger, another one of the pioneers of quantum mechanics called, um, entanglement. Uh-huh. And he pointed this out again in another 1935 paper, the same paper in which he talked about Schrodinger's cat, <laughs> talked about what came to be called Schrodinger's cat. But uh-huh. this, uh, John Bell, um, came up with a way of testing whether or not this, uh, instantaneous connection existed. People then did the experiments, and it's now established it is. And on the purely practical side, people are thinking about doing this for for using for secure communication, for maybe oh, building yeah. quantum computers. NSA is putting a lot of money into it, you know. But on the other side, you can start thinking about what it means. I mean, to, to put it. Very in a very simplistic way, we now know that physically everything in the universe is connected with everything else. Right. In a strange way, it's not a causal connection. As a matter of fact, what I've been thinking about lately is it corresponds almost exactly to what um, Jung called synchronicity. Uh huh. It's an a causal connecting principle, and I the think evidence- it seems to be at least I'm not sure whether. 
it's it seems formally identical. I don't know whether it's identical really, but but synchronicity and entanglement seem to me to be very much connected. What seems to be the evidence from the reality that the dead are talking about is that there's no such thing as time and there's no such thing as space, not objectively. And to me, it seems to be a factor of the fact that space is an illusion. There's no distance and therefore the connection is, is immediate. Um, the, the fact that people can go from one end of the universe to the other with a thought um, indicates that there's no distance. It's hard to imagine that. But if, if, if indeed everything is energy, and energy, um, uh, Rovelli said, uh, you know, energy is waves and an infinite number can exist in the same place, that it may be that that's really uh, um, a partial explanation for what's so going on. So this is the Rovelli, the, the quantum gravity Rovelli? Yes. Oh, okay. Oh, boy, you've been reading. He said, in quantum mechanics, all particles can be described as waves, and waves have an unusual property. An infinite number of them can exist in the same location. Well, it's very true. You're, you're, I, when, when I teach um, electricity and magnetism, I point out to our students that our room or anywhere else is filled with an incredible number of electromagnetic waves. I mean, they're all there in the room. Every every radio station, every cell phone conversation, right, right, are, right. all there in this room. Yes, yeah. This is exciting. I wish, we, I wish we had a whole other hour. Is there anything else that you want to make sure we take away? Because we're coming to the end of our time. Yeah. Um, well, read the book. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The book and, is Quantum and, and Enigma, and, and, Physics and, Encounters Consciousness. And if you want to know more into it, and particularly if you're a teacher who would want to, you know, learn how to use this, go to www.quantumenigma, all one word, dot com. And that's our website for the, for the book, and there's a lot of supplemental material in there. Okay. That's Quantum Enigma as one word dot com. I think exactly. some people will go look at that. Yeah. We're, we're coming to the end of what I think has been a very exciting show. Uh, much more even exciting than I, I, I had hopes, but we've exceeded them. Um, I'm Roberta Grimes. My book is The Fun of Dying. Find out what really happens next. It's available at Amazon and Kindle and Print and also on Barnes and Noble as an ebook. And we've had a wonderful hour talking with Dr. Fred Kuttner, whose wonderful book, Quantum Enigma, Physics Encounters Consciousness, makes understanding the implications of quantum physics easy and fun. If you want to, uh, I mean, I couldn't put it down. I just thought it was one big giggle. And to, to be learning so much and enjoy it so much is a rare experience. Go and read this book. And please join us next week when our guest will be Dr. Karen Herrick. She's a counselor. She uses what she's learned in studying the greater reality to help troubled and dysfunctional families. And I'm especially interested because I'm an adult child of an alcoholic. She's going to help me. So please join us next week. And meanwhile, please visit us at, at afterlifeforums.com and join the discussion. Now, go out and enjoy and make the most of this coming week in our one reality, knowing that you are eternal. You never began, you never will end, and best of all, you are infinitely loved. You've been listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about your eternal life. To learn more, tune in every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. For lively and positive discussions, visit www.afterlifeforums.com. To contact Roberta, email her at roberta at seekreality.com. Wishing you a productive week empowered by the truth of who you really are. Thank you.